Hey folks, Gerald Kirk here, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get to the show. So I mean that that that's a great segue. I love how this is all connected. This is you sound like you know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> very very evident. But it's crazy to me because sometimes even though you're speaking so eloquently and you coming with facts and coming with all this um, this these things that are backed up with you know citations, if you will. Um, right. There are right. still people who will try you. <laughs> so right. I of did, course. I wanted to, there's a shout out. This is one poem. We won't actually get to read this one. You have to read it for yourself. You have to get the book and read it for yourself. But there's a poem yeah. that uh, Dr. Trimble wrote called FYI to the men who rejected a Wikipedia entry on me <laughs> because they didn't think I was important enough, which is insane yeah. because she, just a, a brief like overview. She basically, they basically said too few references on the internet. And right. remarkable, which is absolutely insane, right? But so um, <laughs> I, you obviously have done a lot of incredible things. And I just like, how do you, in, in the face of things like that, that experience, that birthed a really great poem, mind you. But yes. in the face of that, how have you found empowerment in your career as a Black woman specifically? Well, you know, I think um, um, there was a study several years ago and it found that the group with the highest self-esteem were Black women. Huh. And yeah, it's crazy. And that the most educated group in America were Black women. And I think there is a power to being invisible and at the bottom of the the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, I don't need anybody to affirm me. I affirm myself. (laughs) I don't need anybody to listen to me. I know y'all aren't going to listen to me. So I listen to myself. Mm-hmm. And there is almost a freedom in um, a kind of uh, in, in kind of neglect. It, it's like I, I don't um, I don't need your affirmation. I got my affirmation. I got me and black Jesus and that's all I need. Right. <laughs> it's like I, I don't need anything else. And so, uh, of course, you know, we. We have uh, wonderful families and children and partners, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you get to a point where um, external validation is just not how um, you come to feel good about yourself. Sure. And um, that is a very freeing thing. The other thing for me, of course, is age and time. You get to a point in your life when you have lived long enough um, where you are free from having to be liked, praised, um, thought well of, it's like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to get likes on the internet. I don't have to get people to watch my TikTok or, or, or the gram <laughs> or whatever. Sure. 
Uh, and I, I grew up in a, and I also grew up in a generation where that was not a thing. And like right. some people right. liked you and some people didn't. And that was all right. You know, right. like you didn't really right. care. Um, and so that's a freedom. But I really think it, it just has to do with, um, you know, I think about you were talking about songs earlier. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Yeah. You know, it's just like you just you just um, so I think it's age and I think it's positionality and I think it's what you learn sitting in classrooms with people um, that you debunk the myths or the narratives that people often try to feed you of who is superior and who is inferior. Mm -hmm. And when you look around, you say, well, that's not true. I, I see that that's not true. So mm -hmm. are you going to believe your own eyes? Are you going to believe narratives that people give you? And eventually, I think you're going to believe your own eyes, your own sensibility, your own spirit. Ooh. So that's what it is for me. And, you know, I don't have anything. I, You know, I don't have any. I'm not beholden to anybody but okay. my family and God. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, OK. <laughs> Um, and, uh, my daughter laughs because my son, um, we have a son who passed away in December and oh. we were, um, my daughter jokes that we were twins because we, um, don't, we never felt the need to convince you if you thought something crazy. So, uh, you know, he, she, she would always laugh about because she and her dad, you know, they want to fight to the death because they want to be right. Uh -huh. But Joe David and I would go, you know, we would argue with you a little while. And then if we saw that you just were not going to be convinced that you were going to hold tight to your foolishness, we mm -hmm. would just say, oh, OK, then and go on <laughs> yeah. about our business. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, OK, you know. Yeah. How does it hurt me for you to be crazy? You be crazy. <laughs> Goodbye. I'll go write a poem over here. No, yeah, that's you are again. I feel like I need you to be charging because this is some incredible, <laughs> some beautiful, liberating um, uh, advice that you're given and, and insight that you're given. So um, thank you so much for that. Um, I guess the next thing I wanted to get into was the next poem. And okay, sure. That was um poem for my neighbor whose good intentions yes. <laughs> are wolf pelt, which I'm yes. just intrigued by that title, first and foremost. <laughs> so I'll let you just jump in and you can tell us about this. Okay. After you so uh, I will tell you about this poem. So um I used to have a habit of getting into discussions with people on um, the internet, particularly this thing called Next Door. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, because those people I actually knew. I knew most mm -hmm. of those people, right? And so they would post things like, um, I had a neighbor who posted a picture of a man who had picked up pecans in his yard. Like, you know, every now and then we have um, um, indigent people who will, at certain times of the year, if you have pecan trees, they'll just come and they'll pick up because they can sell the pecans. Mm -hmm. And so um, the pecan trees happen to be in this man's front yard. And so the um, um, the man had his little bag and he was um, picking up pecans in his front yard. And um, he he went out to the man and he said, I don't want you in my yard. I don't want you picking up, blah, 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 blah. So the man said, okay. And he left. Mm -hmm. 
which to me is perfectly reasonable. If you tell somebody leave your yard and they leave your yard, okay, end of story. But my neighbor, he was posting and I said, well, the man left. So why post his picture? Why make a big deal of it? You know, that seems like very an invasion of privacy and da, 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 da. Well, he lived next to a neighbor who was also at the same time going around buying up people's houses for very small amounts of money Mm -hmm. and talking about he was doing a community service. And so one neighbor was talking about how he was doing a community service to basically keep these uh, indigent people from picking up pecans. And he wasn't going to eat, by the way. You know, they were just going to lie there and rot. Yeah. Um, And so um, my thing is, so you'd rather somebody break in your house or steal your lawnmower or something than pick up these stupid pecans off your yard. (laughs) And the other neighbor, I'm like, you just cheating people. You just buying up stuff cheap and da, 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 da. So I had those neighbors in mind when I wrote this little poem, because (laughs) um, my philosophy of poetry is I get to say whatever I want to say. And nobody gets nobody gets to talk back because it's my poem. It's my poem. And um, my favorite kind of poem to write is what I call a revenge poem, because um, it. uh, Yeah, it's. it, it it gets it it gets what it gets said what I won't see it. That's sure. all I got to say. So um, my um, my husband said, "Are you gonna let him read the poem?" I said, "I hope he does read it, and I hope I hope he recognizes himself when he does read it, and maybe he will change his ways sure. and start and stop cheating old black people out their property." But sure. you know, anyway, that's a thing. That's a thing. That's my own bailiwick. Um, And this particular person had gone to school to become a quote unquote um, community developer, uh, a community developer. And so, um, you know, my joke about that is so I'm not going to be a gentrifier. I'm going to be a community developer because it sounds, you know, it sounds better. Right. (laughs) It sounds nicer, kinder and gentler, kinder and gentler. Okay. Um, And so I'm going to I'll read that poem. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and so the title is is weird because um, uh, it, of course it's like a um a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. coming as a community developer, but really I'm a I'm a wolf. Gotcha. Uh, who's making lots of money for my own family, right? And mm-hmm. so um, uh, and so a lot of the stuff in this poem, uh, unfortunately. Um, is true, including the thing about the the black neighbors painting their house is sure. right. <laughs> that that became a thing in our neighborhood, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, man. Oh my, I can't wait till I'm, you know, I want to be like 80 years old, and then I'm really gonna say whatever I want to yeah. say. Okay. We can't wait either. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, come at me, I'm 80, whatever. <laughs> All right. So here it is. Um, Poem from my neighbor whose good intentions are wolf pelt. This carpet bag and gentrifying errand mother's son cut through our neighborhood buying houses, called himself a community developer, clipped all the live edges and liberty neat and bound for himself and his posterity. Declaration of Independence just doing what it do. 
and he was pursuing that happiness all right as if it were being stolen or massa they is running away down the street with him after in full stride boy could he smile unhinge that jaw clip it to his ears wide and sparkly and toothy as an old toothpaste commercial to buy and sell all abandoned buildings and occupied ones too some folks who knew better could not fly fast enough to miss the buzzsaw of his charm or his sign on dotted line readiness that left them standing outside their generational house admiring a stranger's yard boxes of their shit still stacked on the sidewalk and then he painted his own house alt white and even black neighbors followed suit mouthing something about clear pure lines and look as if good intentions could emerge from a paint can we all know there is fur beneath the closest of shades wolf comes uninvited as five o'clock shadow and even lamb sacrificing both wool and meat for somebody's pretty cudgel have eyes to see the coming nick and slaughter at least i know very well i do fucker That's all right. That's all right. As they would say. <laughs> As they would say. And, you know, man, I get, and I get it. Um, this is just, it actually ties very nicely to the previous poem. We talk about intentions, right? Yeah. Intentions. Um, and so like, those intentions are from world economics is, you know, more broadly, globally, you know, reviewed. Right. But here, this is very close to you in your home. And, yeah. and, you know, right in your community. And we often see this. So, you know, I live in Atlanta and I'm looking at how this oh, yeah. Oh, is, yeah. is working its way with the Beltline and everything. And so how do you, I mean, what are some ways that you think the Black community can evade these good intentions, so to speak? Like, Well, I mean, part of it is um, forming strong na- neighborhood organizations, taking care of your own community uh, so that people don't invade you. Uh, getting um, people who really do want to support the community involved as opposed to people who are just coming in to buy up all the property, make all the money, not really involved in the community or thinking about the community. Um, And so, um, you know, um, uh, it goes back to a kind of economic understanding, economic knowledge, economic Mm. um, empowerment, uh, you know, my husband and I moved into our neighborhood um, 25 years ago, mm. and there were a lot of houses that needed to be refurbished, redeveloped. And we invited, you know, lots of people to come and their their thing was that's too much work. Mm. We're going to move out east. You know, uh, I don't know about the crime, blah, 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 blah. All of these excuses. Now they want to all come and buy property in that area Mm. but it's been snatched up you know and so one of the things is um vision and um you know thinking about um uh why there is crime and and understanding the history you know one of the things that decimated um our uh one of our most stable black communities was the um the government put a highway straight through it 
you know, put mm-hmm. a highway straight through it. Right. And so you have to be in um, um, people thought, oh, well, this will be great because I'll take this money and I'll go out this place or that place and ended up those places were very isolated, mm-hmm. um, you know, destroyed the community. There were tons of businesses in that community that helped. It was naturally mixed income housing so that people supported each other mm-hmm. and all of that went away. Mm-hmm. And so also, you know, learning to look at not just what people say, but long term, what is the effect of this? Sure. You know, what is this going to do um, for this community in this community? Um, people are all people, you know, are just too enamored of shiny right. and shiny often is uh, not good. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As my husband says, it's often gilded because sure, it ain't nothing yeah. else there but plastic or wood or something right. that's not going to do you good. So, uh, so much of it is education, banding together. Uh, developing coalitions, taking care of your neighborhood, um, thinking about long-term effect, understanding, you know, city zoning, city planning, being very present at um, it, uh, the architectural review board meetings, being very present at um, in involved in city government, knowing who your representatives are and holding mm-hmm. their feet to the fire. Sure, you know. Um, and so all of that is, is it goes back to my life's work, education. You yeah. got to educate yourself and you got to be present. You can't blame other folks for, you know, wanting to make money. You've got to you've got to have your own understanding of what's happening, what's going on and um, what you want for your community. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm curious too. you going back to the the. Um, the go uh, gilding things, and yeah. you pointed that out in the in the poem. I'm why why was everybody painting their house white? Was uh, that so really like? I, oh, that was a thing. It's and you go to this certain corner in our neighborhood, all the houses are white, because someone came up with the idea that that is a clean, pure look. Sure. It's a real, and I'm like. I ain't paint my house white. I, you know, <laughs> I like colors and like what? No. Yeah. Uh, and so people, you can you can get people to jump on any bandwagon you bring down the street. Mm-hmm. You know, you just tell them stuff and get them hyped up, and and sometimes they don't step back and say, "Well, that's stupid." Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm not going to do that. Like, why would I do that? Right. Right. And, and and like, I think that probably in a way it kind of it's figurative almost like a whitewashing of you yes. know, that community and its yes. history and its culture. And stuff. Absolutely. That Absolutely. It's very, Absolutely. It was really uh, disturbing, actually, <laughs> to read that. I was, like, I was so confused. I was like, did I read I that? Right? <laughs> yeah, you read it exactly right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the most and of course, I use it metaphorically. Sure. But uh, the fact that that's, that metaphor is based on a real thing, a real action, mm-hmm. is the most disturbing thing. of. All. That's why, right. That's why I'm stuck on it. You know, it's. <laughs> And I think that's probably what makes the poem so one of the things that makes the poem so powerful too. Like it's very uh very evident. Um and so in addition to you know what black communities can do for themselves to evade these good intentions, it's it's twofold. I'm assuming that this community developer was not of the black community. 
No. So right. it's it sort of, um, you know, it started one way and then it fell another way and then it went back another way. It's It's been bounced around. Sure. But um, a lot of people, when the properties began to get valuable again, mm-hmm. a lot of people um, basically were selling their properties for very small amounts of money, mm-hmm. like sometimes under $10,000. Oh, my goodness. You know, just crazy, just crazy stuff um, because they, you know, uh, because that's a lot of money to me or because I want to get out anyway or because I don't know what's coming. Sure. But other people have knowledge of what's coming, mm-hmm. see, and how the community is going to turn over mm-hmm. and that this property that you have is worth, you know, way more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, what do you so for people who read how to survive an apocalypse, the apocalypse? Yeah. For white wheat readers and for white listeners, yeah. folks who listen to this, yeah. how could they bring everything home? How could they better guide their intentions when you know dealing, whether it be like a global situation or whether it be right. like dealing with the, the black community or coming into contact with the black community? Because a lot you right. do have. It was funny. I just saw this morning a tweet where somebody was like, "Well." Black folks, don't y'all get tired of saying white people this and white people that, and your white friends are lumped into that? I was like, well, no, because like my, my white friends, the ones that my, my friends know better, right? <laughs> like they right. understand exactly. the situation. Exactly. Exactly. So for those who don't necessarily yeah. get it, quite get it, how can like what are how can they better guide their intentions to get you know better to the um to to you know be more better impactful? Well, I mean, I don't want to sound Pollyanna. Polly Annie is sure, but sure. Um, I think most people are are decent people. You know, okay. I think most people want to do the right thing. Sure, but a lot of times people don't know what the right thing is. So, um, and that goes for people of all colors. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 it's. But um, if you really want to uh, do better, the first step always is to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to know the history. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to read. You need to listen. You know, sometimes people want to explain and talk, but they don't want to listen. Sure. And to listen doesn't mean to agree. Mm-hmm. To listen means to um, learn to listen. Uh, and, you know, uh, I can empathize with you. I can understand without agreeing per se. Sure. Um, and to examine your own life, to examine your own motivations, to examine your own actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, imp- I think it's really important. You know, I have a book, uh, poem in the book called Allies, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I take allies to task. I, yeah. I don't really like the word ally, because sure. you know why? Allies get to stand on the sideline and cheer you on. Right. But they they don't think it's their fight. See, my, my uh, thinking is that Racism, misogyny, um, uh, sexual bias, all of these things is not just the fight of the people who have to suffer the consequences of that. It's all of our fight. It's all of our fight. Racism, what people, what I think um, my wonderful white friends need to recognize is that racism is a mechanism of control. Mm -hmm. And it's a mechanism of control that has affected white people, most white people, in very um, unfortunate ways. Mm-hmm. It kept the South from unionizing, so it kept poor white people poor. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it has affected the entire public education system of this country, which means that it's affected your child's education and your child's future. Mm -hmm. It has affected um, the, the economics and the brain drain and the lost potential of this country that would mm -hmm. make all of our lives better. Mm -hmm. And so if we can stop thinking about racism as just oh, something, a problem for black and brown people. And we begin to think about racism as a mechanism of economic control mm -hmm. that was also designed and used to keep, or still is, keep white people in their place. Sure. Then it becomes, you know, you got some skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. You got yeah. some skin in the game. So while you sitting here worried about Hispanic people and black folks and uh, whoever else you worried about, how is your life going? Yeah, yeah. What are the who? What are the people you voted for doing for you, other than whipping you up into a frenzy against those people who, by the way, are not taking your jobs? Uh, by the way, are they are not the source of your economic strife, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. But racism becomes a mechanism for making you think that until you start to do the research. Absolutely. I had a um, I taught a, a wonderful class in Southern literature, and one of my students was um, a, a young Anglo-American man from Northeast Alabama, mm -hmm. um, and um, he his and so they had to do topics where they would give reports to the class, and so his topic was the Civil War, mm -hmm. and so he had to go do the research, and so he came back and he gave this report, and he said, you know what's curious to me after reading all of these things is that basically a few billionaires <laughs> convinced a lot of poor white people to fight for something that was not going to benefit them mm -hmm. and we have been suffering ever since mm -hmm. i didn't teach that boy that that boy <laughs> found that out by reading yeah and coming to the conclusion this is what reading does for you Sure. You know, nobody has to indoctrinate you. If you begin to read facts, history, if you've got a brain, you're going to begin to put things together and like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I am being I am being manipulated and controlled by this system. So while I'm out here worried about X, Y and Z, I am being robbed, blind and mistreated. What right. I need to do is get together with these black and brown and uh, whatever else folks. And we need to all create better um, vote for people who are going to do something for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so I'm so glad you, you mentioned that about control, how racism is a, is a yes. means of control. And it's also I think the control aspect comes from something that we're afraid of or it comes out of fear. So yes. they had they were afraid of black people's otherness. They're afraid of women's otherness, afraid of, you know, right. queer community's otherness. So they had to come up right. with these systems to control. And so they did this through racism, right? And uh right. it gets completely So I can keep my money. Right. Yeah, so I can keep right. my money. I mean yeah. we we yeah. we invent race. It's a fairly new invention in the history sure. of the world, right? Yeah. Um we invent race in order to justify things like enslavement, in order for a, a few people to keep control of the money mm -hmm. and to spend it in such a way that the other people will swallow it, yep. right? And so it's really it, it's really fascinating um, how 
this becomes a mechanism of control. And my personal theory is that this pushback against critical race theory is really a pushback against the teaching of American history mm -hmm. because too many young people not of color are going home and saying, why did y'all do that? <laughs> why, are you mis why are you treating these people like this? Mm -hmm. I read today this and I read this. And people are like, oh, no, it's making the young people uncomfortable. It's not mm -hmm. making the young people uncomfortable. It's making people who have benefited from a system for a long time uncomfortable that folks about to say, uh, no. I mean, I knew it was over when I went to a George Floyd protest and I saw a whole row of little young white children with a signs up that said, no justice, no peace. I said, <laughs> oh, people about to do something about this. Yeah. People about to do something about this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That makes, yeah. That, um, and that also happened too recently, um, you know, with the, the um, shooting of Ralph Yarl. Yes. How his classmates have, they did this really big demonstration uh, yes. you know, in support of him. So, yeah, they sometimes things, you see some some things on TikTok and Twitter here and there that make you question the upcoming generation. But I think generally they're, they're going to be all right because they, they they know what's I what's think they're going to be all right. I, I think they I think they're beginning to 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 get it like, yeah. mm, you know what? I know this system we you we're being sold that this system is to keep these folks in line. But I'm beginning to think this system is keeping me in line too. Absolutely. And 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 uh, yeah, this and this ain't working for me. This sure. ain't working for me. Yeah. So this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, I have. Oh, this thank you so much. Two more questions I ask everyone okay. who's a guest on the on the show. The first yes. one is, what about being from Alabama inspires you? Oh yeah. So I grew up on a street that at that time was named West Jeff Davis Avenue. Okay. And the cross street for that um, was uh, named at some point Rosa Parks. So my I literally lived on, on the uh, um, in the intersection of West Jeff Davis and Rosa Parks. Like you cannot make that up. They've mm -hmm. since na renamed West Jeff Davis as um, Fred Gray. But I think it was hilarious when it was Rosa Parks and West Jeff Davis Avenue. Um, when you walk up the street in um, Montgomery, you have the Capitol where George Wallace was right a spitting distance from Dexter Avenue King Memorial Church where Martin mm -hmm. Luther King was. You have, um, you know, the fountain where enslaved people were auctioned mm -hmm. right up the street from a sign. Uh, my husband uh, sort of agitated to get put in where a, a black, what would have been equivalent of National Guard group, uh, uh, troop used to march, okay. you know. And so uh, the White House of the Confederacy is right down the street from the Civil Rights Memorial. Mm -hmm. Montgomery is this place where everywhere you look is irony. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't even have to try. It's there. In, in the poor, it's in the architecture, it's in the geography, it's everywhere. And so um, for a writer, it's a marvelous thing. You know, sure. um, I had a um, former co-worker 
who uh, lived in Oxford, Mississippi, and was there when William Faulkner died, mm. and remembered looking, you know, basically as a child through the bushes to watch the Faulkner processional, and her mother telling her Faulkner never wrote anything, he just wrote everything down. And I almost feel like that living in Montgomery, and one of the things I love about living in Alabama is you just have to write, you know, you just, you just look out your window, and it's just so rich. You know, I think that's why so many writers are from the South, because it's mm. so rich. And the South is such a contradiction. It is. Like it varies so much from person to person. You cannot assume anything about a person, mm. about a person of any color, any race or whatever, you know. Um, and so it's a marvelous place to live. Yeah. You know, you walk into a restaurant and somebody's going to call you Sugarfoot or Doll Baby. You know, are you, you, it's, it's just, it's, I, I love it. I don't, I don't, um, uh, I've lived outside the South once in my life and I came back to Alabama and I kissed the ground and uh -oh. I said, I, I love this place. And for all of our crazy, the people are good people mm -hmm. and they are kind people. And, you know, Joseph laughs because, um, um, I was getting in my car one day and some stranger was walking through our neighborhood and was walking toward me like he was about to accost me. And one of our neighbors saw him. And so he parked his truck across the street. Now, this neighbor probably is racist and misogynistic and everything else. But I was his neighbor and he wow. wasn't going to leave there <laughs> until he saw that I was all right. And then he called my husband and told him about it. Like, yeah. You know, and so that's what the South is like. It's a yeah. weird place of these just crazy contradictions. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely, if you don't know how to harness it, that is to say, be inspired by it, write by it, create, you know, yes. from it, it, it might drive you crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, it's, oh, it's maddening. Yeah. But I love it. I love yeah. it. It's yeah. just so rich. You it know? does make for a lot of great content for sure. Absolutely. So, um, I guess from that, what is your hope for, for Alabama moving forward? My hope for Alabama is that it begins to lean into the greatness of all its people. Hmm. That Alabama is um, a, a geographically beautiful state. It is a rich state in terms of its history. Um, and it needs to embrace all of its history, the good, the bad, the ugly and recognize it for mm -hmm. what it is in order to move forward. Um, I love the story that the Bicentennial, uh, Bicentennial Park tells mm -hmm. from sort of the beginning of Alabama, and it sort of does its best to incorporate the whole story of Alabama, mm -hmm. the good, the bad, the ugly, but and also the future, the possibilities mm -hmm. for Alabama. And there were a lot of people on that committee from all sorts of places in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And what that says to me is that if we all get together, if we all come together and give the best of ourselves, Alabama can be a great place. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Give the best of ourselves. That's 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 a that's a great call. I hope people hear that. <laughs> you know, I do too. I do too. So important. We need it more than ever at this point. Because so you, yes, you, you absolutely. Start to get kind of uh, <laughs> nervous. It's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. 
It's nerve Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for this chat. Thanks well, for thank taking you. the time. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any of uh, last uh, parting thoughts? that you'd like to leave with the people if, or if, can people are you on social media can people follow you different places? I am a, a, people can find me um, I, I have a website JacquelineAllenTrimble.com mm-hmm. um, you can find me on Instagram you can find me on Twitter even okay. though yeah uh, I try to stay off of, of, of Twitter um, uh, uh, you can find me on Facebook um, okay. so uh, I am I am out there okay <laughs> Well, you guys heard it here. Um, it's Dr. Jacqueline Allen Trimble. Um, she shared with us her latest book, How to Survive the Apocalypse, which you can find anywhere, right? Yes, anywhere. You can find it anywhere. So make sure you guys pick yeah. it up. And I honestly, I just, I want to frame the book itself because <laughs> the cover itself is so, it, the, oh, yeah. the, the lady depicted is wearing one of my favorite colors, yellow, and it's so beautiful. Um, but oh, thank you thank again. You so much and uh have a great rest of your day (laughs) you too you too and that's the end of our conversation with dr jacqueline allen tremble poet and chair of languages and literature at alabama state university Another huge thank you to Dr. Trimble for kicking off the third season of the Higher Ground Society podcast and wrapping this year's National Poetry Month for us. I loved our conversation and how real it was. I learned so much. The music featured in this episode was created by Birmingham music producer Jasmine Garfield of Art Intel Media. This episode also featured music by NC Music. Thanks again to the Alabama Humanities Alliance for their continued support of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Be sure to check out the great work that they're doing across the state at alabamahumanities.org. Lastly, thank you, listener, for joining in with us on the conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to be notified for future episodes of the show. This third season, in addition to more writers, you'll finally get to hear from our esteemed Patchwork Symphony artists. For those who don't know, Patchwork Symphony is Higher Ground Society's flagship project where we provide up-and-coming Alabama artists with the opportunity to professionally record their original music and be included on a compilation album that showcases Alabama's many musical gifts. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to miss that. Stay tuned for more. Until next time, be easy.